okay, so Revelation chapter number uh, 6 this evening. We are uh, finally at the uh, seal uh, judgments and the opening of them. If you remember, last time we were in the book of Revelation, we were dealing with um, that scene in heaven where John is broken because there's no man worthy to open the seals thereof. And of course, the sign goes out to say that uh, not to weep, not to worry. Revelation 5, verse 5, One of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Revelation chapter number 6, verse 1, and we're going to pick up as the seals are open. So let's read, we'll read the entirety of the chapter, as long as my eyes can read this smaller print. Revelation chapter number 6 and verse number 1. Uh, before, we, before we do that, <laughs> sorry, but I do want to say that, you know, just for me, um, when Scripture's read, you know, I love Scripture being read, but I honestly, honestly think there's no other book in the Bible that when it's read is as powerful in, in how it sounds is the book of Revelation. And there's something to it. There's something to it. Not that it's more important than any other parts of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But the book of Revelation, when it's read, has a seriousness and a somberness and an authority and a majesty to it, I think, like uh, no other book. So with that said, Revelation chapter 6 and verse number 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given every one, unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, 
until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and though there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she is shaken out of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Said unto the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come to this time where, Lord, the seals are opened and the world is in chaos, Lord, I'm so thankful for your salvation. But, Lord, what a warning it is of what's to come. We live in a world that has convinced themselves, has bought the lie that Things are getting better and will continue to get better until we reach this perfect utopia made by man. But Lord, your final book in the canon of Scripture tells us that things will get worse. And there are trials and troubles that are coming that this world has never seen. The day of your great wrath is coming. Lord, woe betide those that face that. Lord, as we go through this this evening, I pray you would educate us. Teach us, Lord. Help us to see these things and interpret them well. Lord, I've said as we started our reading that I think this book has a power in it like no other when it's read, but yet how many churches fall silent when it comes to these chapters. Lord, they choose to hide from these things rather than to try and understand these things. We know there are blessings in this book, Lord. So Lord, I pray you be with us this evening. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are at the uh, seal judgments. We took a little detour last time around. We finished chapter 5, then we looked at the 77s a little bit. But now we're in the seal judgments. And um, as has been said at the very last of this uh, chapter, we are now at the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is used throughout Scripture. Uh, Turn with me just to one example. It's Zephaniah, chapter number 1, verse 14 to 15. Some of you are going, where is Zephaniah? Sounds like a musical instrument. <laughs> Zephaniah, chapter number one. Said it, said it. That's how you place them in the Old Testament scriptures. Anyway, Zephaniah. 
Chapter number 1, verse 14 to 15. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and has hastened greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And certainly the day of the Lord, which I believe is the entirety of the tribulation period and beyond, is a day where there is judgments. And we're going to look uh, this evening at the start of those uh, judgments. And we'll see that there are three sets of judgments. We have the seals, we have the trumpets, and we have um, the bowls. And I believe the bowls comes at the second half of the tribulation period. But that said, and, and we'll get into that when we get into it, um, what we want to see about these judgments is that they're telescopic in nature. Uh, what I mean by that, well, when we read through, we'll go through the first six seal judgments and then the seventh seal uh, judgment really introduces the trumpet judgment. That is the judgment. So you go one, two, three, four, five, six, which we've read. The seventh seal, when it's opened, introduces the next set of judgments and on it goes. This takes us back. I don't know if you remember the image. I probably should have put it on the screen for you. But if you remember the image that I used when we looked at chapter five, when we looked at the scroll that was sealed up, and how I showed you that the concept there is that there's a seal on the top, an initial seal to open it. And then within the rolls, there are other seals on there. This is what's going on in these judgments. So initially, somebody has to open the seal to begin the first set of judgments, the seal judgments. And it's the Lord that does that in Revelation chapter number 5. Who's worthy to open the seal? It's the Lord. And when he opens that seal, we now get into the first set of judgments. There are six judgments and then there's another seal uh, that's opened and then that takes us into the trumpet judgments. There are six of those and then the seventh trumpet judgment takes us into the bowl of the vile uh, judgments which are, are, are cataclysmic and we'll look at that when we get there. But in Revelation chapter number 6, there's only six of these seals that are opened. And under the seal judgments, we're going to see that the world really is, is ruined uh, primarily by man. And, and of course, there are judgments upon man. There are, are, are characteristics of the age that we're going to have a look at in the horsemen, these personifications of these things. And, and the world's at war. It's in chaos. It's in trouble. Under the trumpet judgments, the world is ruled by Satan. We're going to see there's a supernatural element that is brought down to earth. And under the vile judgments, the world is rescued by God. And, and Satan's empire is dealt blow after blow. And as I've said, these judgments, they're telescopic in nature. They're telescopic in nature and also they build up till we get to the bowls and vials, which are, are, are um, well, we'll see when we, we get there and we, we look at them. You know, when you're looking at these uh, seal judgments, it's like, oh, things can only get better. Or the best is yet to come. No, the worst is yet to come in these judgments. Now, we're going to see tonight as we go along, I believe that these judgments will parallel us with Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is a very important prophetic uh, scripture. It's a misinterpreted scripture, again, like, like quite a few uh, of Matthew. I particularly, I think Matthew is a unique gospel in many, many ways. Um, and we know that it's a Jew, Jewish focused gospel. It's not that the 
other elements don't have Jewish focus in them, but Matthew particularly has to be interpreted through the lens of Israel. It really helps put the things together. Matthew 13, for an example, um, you know, you'll go all over the place if you, if you go off in that. Matthew 24, known as the Olivet Discourse, you'll see it parallel, and we'll look at it tonight. We'll go back, and, and it'll help us with one of the most misinterpreted uh, passages in, 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 in the New Testament about the preaching of the gospel. Uh, we'll go out, and then the end will come. We'll have a look at that this evening. But we're in Revelation 6, and we're going to go back and, and, and look back and forth. But that said, we want to have a look at the seal judgment. So, the first seal judgment that we see, let's read uh, chapter 6, verse 1 again. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of these seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So here we're introduced at the opening of the first seal to what's known as the first horseman of the apocalypse. You've heard this term, haven't you? I mean, these these biblical terms, they are biblical terms, but they've pervaded and invaded secular culture. So most people will have heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They maybe won't be able to tie it into Revelation chapter number 6, but they'll they'll have heard, you know, the world's fascinated with with doomsday scenarios and Armageddons and the end of the world because I always think with society there is, no matter how much they try and deny it, there's almost an underwhelming, or not an underwhelming, an, an internal thing that they know that this is going to happen. But obviously they're not putting God in his right place and man in his right place. But there's always this thought that humanity's one step away from this uh, big catastrophe. So people will know about the horsemen of, of the apocalypse, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, and of course in church circles, people will know. In premillennial circles, people will know about these horsemen of the apocalypse. So the question is, as we're introduced to the first horseman, who is the first horseman? And I know that quite a few of you tonight are going to say to me, it's the Antichrist. Yes? Yeah? And most, most, people, most people teach that in, in our kind of conservative circles. I don't believe that it is. And I'm, I'm going to, shocker, but <laughs> I am going to biblically put forward why I don't think it's the Antichrist. So give me time, and we'll go through it. Um, so but before we get into who it is, let's deal with who it isn't. Okay, Because that's a lot easier sometimes in the book of Revelation to say who it isn't before you get into who it, it is. Because some will say today that this um, is a picture of the gospel and it's spread. Um, again, I, I have no idea how they get that. Right. Bad hermeneutics, really, but there you go. Um, you know, again, that's not sustainable, that position, because there's nothing good that comes out of these horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, some will say this is Jesus, because Jesus comes in a white horse, doesn't he? Yeah? Anybody know where? Revelation 19, let's go there. thought somebody was going to say Longton, but no. Revelation 19. Verse 11 to 16. It says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. 
His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. We could go on and, and, and read that because it's, it's just beautiful. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, Revelation 19, it's clear that it's the Lord Jesus that is on this horse. And there are similarities. Go back to Revelation 6. Uh, verse 2, And I behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. So there's similarities. But because things have similar language, it doesn't mean that they're the same. And that's a, a, a silly notion to just jump completely at that without doing any research at all. Because we have to uh, contrast. And when we do, we see that the crown that's being worn uh, by Jesus in Revelation 19 is a diadem. That royal crown, the crown that's being worn by whoever it is in verse number 2 of uh, Revelation 6, uh, had a bow and had a crown, that's Stephanos. Uh, completely different in terms of the crowns and their functions. So, it's not Jesus. So who is it? Who is it? Again, most will say it's the Antichrist. What would you say? I got you don't know, that's the best bit, easiest way. You will know by the end of tonight. No, again, I'm not going to be dogmatic over this because we have to be clear. I'm dogmatic in one thing. It's not the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so amen and amen to that. But people will say this is the Antichrist. This is Satan's man for the R. And that is much closer, I believe, to the truth, than, than infinitely closer to the truth than the thought that it is Christ upon this horse. And in scripture, horses are often used as a symbol for war. Uh, again, I mean, the Lord Jesus, as we've read in, in Revelation 19, when he's on that horse, when he comes back, it's to make war. It's not to come as the humble servant. He's coming as the warrior king at that point. So here we have the horse symbolic of, of war. Uh, but that white horse, what does that show us and what could that show us and again uh, possibly that the, the rider wins victories without uh, warfare maybe peaceful victory is implied uh, we notice in verse number two that he that sat on him had a bow and it's often said you know he doesn't have any arrows so a bow without arrows is um, not really a threatening thing it has the potential to be a weapon but until it has some arrows, then it's not as effective as maybe it could be or as threatening as it could be. So the question is then, well, you're saying all these things, Kevin. Is this the Antichrist? Um, I think it's a picture of. But to say it is the Antichrist, I don't think fits with what we interpret the other verses that follow. Because... You know, we have to, we know that the Antichrist is, is coming. We know that the Antichrist comes and he comes uh, and 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 comes and sells great deceit. He sells a lie, and the world is ready for that lie, and they buy into that lie. And you know, we can go to Thessalonians. Uh, we'll not do it just for the sake of time, because I do want to get through these seals tonight, hopefully. Um, we know that the world is, is prepping itself for this man to be revealed. We know the conditions are moving that way. We see that every day. The world slips lower and lower, ready 
ready and prime for somebody to come and take the reins and offer a solution. We can see that the, the family's being attacked, morality's going down, evil waxes worse and worse. We know all these things. And, and this is now with the restraining influence of the Holy Spirit. This is now with the presence of the church, albeit that the church, unfortunately, is limping towards the finish line. But even still, we have that in society today, holding back. But conditions are building. So if I was to say to you what these seals are, well, certainly the first seal brings us deception. I have no doubt about that. No doubt about that. But I think that these seals are, are personifications, as it were. Because the first seal, um, we can point towards deception, and, and we see that there's a great deceiver will come on the world stage, the Antichrist, there's no doubt about it. He will come and he is the ultimate deceiver. He's the ultimate deceiver and the world's looking for such a man. There's no doubt about it. I know this quotation's been rolled out before on Wednesday nights probably and, and people may be aware of it. Paul Henry Spack, uh, who wrote this, he was a, a former Prime Minister of Belgium, uh, chairman of the first session of the General Assembly of the United Nations. We do not need another committee. We have too many already. Amen to that. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people and to lift us out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and be he God or devil, we will receive him. That was 1956. You know, fast forward to where we are today, and the world is seeking somebody to come along and to take the reins and to solve the world's problem. The world's seeking a man, a saviour, somebody that can help. Who is that man? That man is the Antichrist. But is it the Antichrist that is in the seal? I'm going to say to you, no. I think the seal pictures deception. Because when we look at the other horse riders we'll see that they are personifications. They're pictures. They're types of what's going on. They're conditions, if you like, that the world is rife in. So let's have a look at verse uh, number 4 of Revelation chapter number 6. Because context, we have to keep things in context. Even though it suits us to put things in there. And if we look at verse number 4, it says, And there went out another horse that was red, with power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And they should kill one another, and there was given unto him a great uh, sword. So, you know, we, we talk about that uh, as war. Let's move on and look at the third horseman. Verse 5, And when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the third base say, Come and see, and behold, a black sword. Horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice say in the midst of the four base, saying, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and seeing that they hurt the oil and the wine. Then we get to verse 8. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, the kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. So when we get into verse 8, we're told 
clearly that this horse rider is death. Death's not a person. War's not a person. So all these three other, other, other horse riders, we all, if we follow the, the view where we take that the, the first horse rider is the Antichrist, would align that each one of those other riders aren't actual people, but they're conditions that are going on in the world at that time. They're personifications. So why would we then put the Antichrist into the first scene and say that that is the Antichrist on that? Whenever I think the language is pictorial of conditions. Now, I absolutely believe that the Antichrist is the pinnacle of deception. Just as he's the pinnacle of war. But do I believe that he is the actual one sitting on there? I don't think that scripture gives us a lot to go on other than it kind of fits. But, as I've said, when you get to verse 8, you know, the horsemen are clearly identified as death. And nobody would argue that that was a person. An Antichrist is a person. He is a person. In the first half of the tribulation, he is a human being empowered by the devil. In the second half of the tribulation, he is a human being possessed by the devil. And we can go through that in scripture and see that. So for me, personally, and again, I'm not going to fall out. You know, I'm not being dogmatic over this. But I think these are pictures of what's going on at this time. And remember I said to you that we would go to uh, Matthew. So I want you to go to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 4. Because the, 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 the personification of what's going on at this time, it's a great deception. The Holy Spirit's gone. Scripture tells us that there will, people will believe a lie. Because the great deceiver is there, but the deception, that's the spirit of the age, as it were. Matthew 24, verse 4 to 5. Again, the Olivet Discourse. Let's read verse uh, 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now we know that we see these conditions in the world today. There have been many false Christs that have come. And before the ultimate fulfillment of what Christ says, those conditions will get worse and worse and, and we see them. But the Lord is speaking here and he's speaking to Israel and we have to get that in, in, into fit. He's talking about the tribulation period and he's talking about a time of deception. And that's what we see in Revelation chapter number 6 verses 1 and 2. We see that it's a time of deception. That's one of the judgments that's sent out. The pinnacle of that deception is the Antichrist himself when he walks on the earth, I believe. So that's seal one, deception. What about seal two, Revelation chapter number six, verse three to four? We've got destruction. And when, it, when he had opened the second seal, Revelation six, three, I heard the second beast say, 
Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. Again, I think this is pictorial language. I don't think this is a particular general. I don't think the language is there to say that. But I do think this is what's going on as a judgment. There is war. There is deception. And from the deception, there is war. And we've seen this through the ages. The big wars generally behind it's deception. People have been deceived into believing something and go to war off the back of that. You just look at uh, Germany in the Second World War. There was a mass mass taken in of the uh, idolatry, the ideology. Is that word? Yes, it is. Is it? Ideology? Ideology. That's it. That sounded better. Ideology. And it was taken in by the people. There was almost this mass movement of accepting the delusion, the deception. That's just a picture of what's going to come when the Antichrist comes. That was a small scale compared to what will be a big scale deception. And what people will buy into it that these wars or these actions are just and they're needed. You know, you know, whatever's going on in Ukraine and Russia, you know, on both sides there's deception. On both sides. Both sides think they're right. Both sides have supporters that think they're right. Both sides want to blame one another. But there's this concept of deception that ultimately leads to destruction. No different than what it will be. Revelation 6. That there's deception and then there's destruction. There'll be those that... Follow what has been taught. And there's those that will rebel against it. Same thing as there was in, in, in any war. There are those that stand against it. That don't fall for the lie. Or are not happy to have their sovereignty taken away from them. There are nations across the world that would be quite happy to have their sovereignty taken away. There are other nations that would be absolutely fight to the death to not have their sovereignty taken away. I think that's part of what you see in Russia. They they don't want to have any NATO Western rule over them. And part of that, that's what's going on there. But there are other countries who've seen it. Finland, Sweden, whoever. And you say, well, coming into the EU and NATO isn't the same as having your sovereignty taken away. We've just come out of Europe and, and what did we lose a lot of? Our sovereignty. To do what we want, how we want, to govern. But there are people, that, nations, that will uh, uh, fight against that. And, and what happens then? If they don't go with the program, they're against the program. And if they're against the program, they will face the force of those that are trying to impose the program. Deception. If you go along with it, Fine. If you stand up against it, what's going to happen? War. There's going to be destruction. And the symbolism is very clear. Verse 4, the horse was red. It's no longer white. Power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. And they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. All this symbolism of the war that's going to take place during this time. And we're dealing at the first half of the tribulation period, and it may be peace for Israel. Why is it peace for Israel? 
because they've bought the deception. But there are other nations out there that are not biblically in the program there that will stand against it. That means war. That means war. I think we get the concept that when Antichrist comes, it's world peace. It's world peace for those that enter in and are happy to accept what he's selling. But those that don't, they're a thorn in the side of progress or whatever it may be. And we've seen that any kind of excuse can be used to justify military action. And I believe that's what's happening. So seal 2 is a seal of destruction. Turn back to Matthew 24. You should really, Mark, kind of have one finger in there if you can. Because we'll go back and forward. Matthew 24, verse 6. We've seen deception. Now we're looking at destruction. Matthew 24, verse 6. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Wars and rumors of wars. That's going to be one of the conditions. Next sale. Deprivation. Revelation 6, verses 5 to 6. Revelation 6, verses 5 to 6. And when he'd opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see, and I beheld, and though a black horse, he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny. See, they not hurt the oil and the wine. So here we have not a white horse, not a red horse. We've got a black horse. And I would believe that this horse represents famine. Because what do we have? We know we're going down this order here where we've got a deception. Some will go with it. Some won't. There's war off the back of that. What happens when there's war? Deprivation. Famine. Starvation. Trade routes are, are, are not working. We're seeing this across the world. You know, you just look to the world now as a perfect uh, picture of this happening right now. Spoke about this this morning. That the knock-on effect from the war in Ukraine and, and Russia is that food supplies to those nations, I think, off the top of my head, I can't remember the figure, but uh, CMIA had said, I can't remember what percentage it was of grain, I think, that, that Moldova gets off Ukraine, but it, it was over, 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 I'm sure it was over 60, 70%, possibly 80% of the grain comes through Ukraine. It's not coming through. What's happening? Those people are going to start to starve. What's happening to the people on the ground that are involved in that war? They're starving. Trade has been ceased. This global economy is coming to a, 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 a halt, as it were, because the lines are not there. What happens in war? The poor get poorer. The rich get richer. Middle class evaporates. There's only really two classes. Those that have it and those that don't. And this rider on the black horse, he's instructed not to hurt the oil and the wine, the luxury foods of John's day. Again, this is a bleak picture of what's coming. Deception, destruction, deprivation. Turn back to Matthew 24, verse number 7. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in the verse 
And these sale judgments are opened. We've got great deception. We've got great destruction. We've got great deprivation. Fourth horseman. Fourth sale. Death. Revelation chapter number 6, verse 7 to 8. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. So we've got fighting We've got famine, what comes next, disease, and death. People don't have access to amenities, clean water, food. Disease runs rampant. More corpses lying in the street. The conditions are, are rampant for disease and it's no wonder that this horseman comes in a, a pale horse. And this is the things, this is the way it goes whenever this is the time of Jacob's trouble. Now we see these things today, but this is the culmination of these things that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24 and is revealed in Revelation chapter number 6. And the effect of these four horsemen. Now I want you to notice that it's the four horsemen. Look at verse 8 again. It says, And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth. So there are four horsemen. And power is given to them over the fourth part of the earth. That's 25% to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. And notice the horsemen are all put into gather. This is why I think they're personifications rather than people. But the reality is that a quarter of the world's population is wiped out with these first four sins. Now, quick numbers. Let's do quick maths. Who wants to do some maths? Approximately eight, give or take, eight, eight billion people today. Is that right? In the world, would you say? 6.7 point, give or take. For easy maths, let's do eight billion people. 25% went out. How many people are killed during this, these first four scenes? How many? How many? Two billion. Stop and think about that. Two billion people. Two billion people. This is what's to come. God is not messing about here. This is serious. This is serious. This is not COVID and how many... Uh, hundreds of thousands or whatever it may be. This is not the, you know, the plagues of old. This is not the tsunami that wiped out hundreds of thousands or whatever it may be. This is two billion souls. Two billion souls. There's violence, there's starvation, there's disease. Look at the end of verse 8. It says, to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and with the beasts of the earth. 
what do you think that means? It means that the animal kingdom is getting its food off the humans. Everything's turned upside down. Two billion people. Seal four, death and disease. Back to Matthew 24, verse number seven, tail end of it. Famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. Pestilences, disease, disease. Uh, Right, next one, let's get through this quickly. Seal five, discrimination. Revelation chapter number six, verses nine to 11. And when I had opened the fifth seal, I saw on the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants, also and their brethren, that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So again, we have these martyrs, martyrs for the Lord, witnesses. Notice they're, they're, they're uh, put to death because of their stand on the word of God. They're martyrs for the Lord. Now turn back to Matthew 24, verse 9 to 14. And this is the important bit that we want to deal with. Matthew 24, verse 9, And they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, shall kill you. You shall be hated for all nations for my name's sake. This is the discrimination that's going on. And then many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure until the end the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. Now again, I believe absolutely this is the tribulation period. So the question is, will there be a gospel witness during the tribulation period? Absolutely, I believe there will. But again, it will not be the gospel of grace. It will be the gospel of of the kingdom. That's what it says there in Matthew 24. Now, we've looked at this a little bit, so we'll not spend too much time into it, but there's a difference between the gospel of grace and the gospel of, king, of the kingdom. Not in its soteriology. What I mean by that? It's not in its salv- salvific uh, uh, efficiency. It's not a change in how people are saved. But it is a change in the message and what's to be said and how it's to be said It's the gospel of the kingdom that John the Baptist preached. It's the gospel of the kingdom that Elijah will preach when he comes again in the tribulation period. You can read about that in Malachi chapter number 4. We don't have time to go there. But Matthew 24 tells us that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then the end shall come. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached, not by Gentiles, but by Jews, I believe. Who are the Jews that are going to preach this? Who are the Jews that are going to go out and do this? We're going to be introduced to them, thankfully, in Revelation chapter 7 next. And one day, during this period, those that are sealed by God of the Jews 
will go out into all the world and they will preach the gospel of the kingdom. And when they have done that and the time is fulfilled, the Lord will come back as he has promised. But Israel is in sight here. So it's not about us going out and preaching the gospel to the whole world and then the Lord will come back. Because Matthew 24 was not written for us or to us, should I say. We can learn from it. But we can't fulfill it because it's for Israel and Israel alone. All right, let's quickly and finally, and I am done with this, the sixth seal. Let's go back to Revelation chapter number 6, verse 12. This is disaster. I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black with sackcloth of hair. The moon became as blood. The stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken in a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. So what's going on here? This is, is, is disaster. This is uh, an earthquake. There are, are things going on in the stellar heavens that are affecting the earth. It says every uh, island and mountain were moved out of the place. There is a shifting here of what's going on in, on the earth in terms of the uh, geographical changes. We see the stars of heaven fell onto the earth. Some will say, oh, that's symbolic. But if we read verse 13, we'll see that it says the stars of heaven fell onto the earth even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs. So these stars of heaven falling onto the earth cannot be symbolic because straight after we get some symbolism. So they are literal stars. What do I believe is going on here? I think there's a, a cataclysmic event that changes the earth in its topology. Personally, I think that if this is either uh, the stars from heaven, meteorites hitting, whatever happens, I believe actually that the earth tilts its axis a little bit. It's so impacted by the earth. And what's said that, you know, when you look at the earth and how it sits so perfectly, one little change in that is going to affect everything. It's going to affect everything. And what happens here are actual events, I believe. They're cataclysmic events. So those that are on earth at this time must be thinking to themselves, this is the end of the world. And indeed, there's a recognition there. Let's look in Revelation 6, verse 15. After all these events are happening, all this death on the earth, these two billion people are wiped out, the topology of the earth changes. I mean, everything changes. It says, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the mighty men, every bondman, every free man, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains. They know something supernatural is going on. They know something serious is going on. They know something somber is going on. They said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is coming. So there's a recognition but yet, there's no repentance. No repentance. They want death rather than to repent and call upon the Lord. Say, rocks fall on us when they're the ones that should fall at the feet of the Savior and say, Lord, will you help us? 
But this is the heart of man. This is the great deception that is going on in this age. You think people are blinded now. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit, uh, his ministry changes. And he that restrains stops restraining. And this is what happens when the church is pulled out of the way and men are left to get on with it without those things that God has given them to point them to him. That they recognize this is the end of days. And yet still, they won't call on the one who's the ancient of days. That's man. Those are the sins. We've had the horsemen. We've had death. We've had discrimination. We've had disaster. What a sorry state the world is in at this point. But... As I've said, the worst is yet to come because it's only just beginning. But Revelation chapter number 7, we'll take a little pause from the chronological action. We're going to have a look. Is the gospel going to be preached? The gospel of the kingdom? Who's going to do the preaching? Next week, Lord willing, we'll be introduced to the 144,000, which are the Jehovah's Witness. No. We're going to see these are the children of Israel sealed by God for his purposes in the last.